If you would like more information about Jubilee Church, please visit our website at jubileestl.org. How often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times? Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but seventy-seven times. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. And since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all that he had and payment to be made. So the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, have patience with me and I will pay you everything. And out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave him the debt. But when that same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii, and seizing him, he began to choke him, saying, pay what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, have patience with me and I will pay you. He refused and went and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. When his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed, and they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. Then his master summoned him and said to him, You wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. And should, you, should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. So also my heavenly Father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. This is the word of the Lord. All right. Hello, everybody. Uh, For those of you who don't know me, my name is David. I'm the location pastor here at Kirkwood. And uh, I get the privilege of continuing us in our You Asked For It series. If you haven't been around the last couple weeks, we took a poll uh, last Easter, said, what do you want to hear about? And so based on the responses we got, we determined some topics to address. And the way I feel today is, um, have you ever been in class and uh, you have to do a presentation, all the students are going one after another, and then like the person before you just absolutely nails it out of the park and you're like, why do I have to follow that person? That's kind of like how I am today. Uh, if you haven't, if you weren't here last Sunday or even the Sunday before that, Brian, uh, two weeks ago, addressed parenting and just gave us a really helpful biblical framework to approach uh, raising our kids and loving our glorious inconveniences. And you have to listen to the message to, to figure that one out. And then uh, Rachel Gilson was here last week and so helpfully tackled the topic of how's the church to love and engage the LGBTQ plus community. And it was just, it was just, I just walked away being just so impressed. Um, uh, Her story was powerful, but just reminded again the power and the beauty of the gospel and what Jesus has done for us. And if you go to jubileestl.org, our website, you can check out that stuff and um, those sermons are online. I would encourage you to do that. And uh, so I figured with sermon series was born out of a poll. Let's start with a poll uh, today. So raise your hand if anyone has ever done anything to upset you or offend you intentionally or unintentionally? Come on, everyone engage this. Has anyone ever upset you or offended you intentionally? Keep your hands up. All right, now listen, my jokes aren't any better than Brian's. All right, but I'm gonna really need some crowd participation in this one today. Okay, hands are up. All right, keep your hands up. Hold them up for a minute. Keep your hand up if you have ever offended or unintentionally upset anyone in your life. Kurt? Kurt just lowered his hand. You've offended me. Keep your hand up. Kurt's one of our elders. We know he has offended people. All right, you can put your hands down. All right, look to your person to your next to you and say, I'm sorry. You don't need to know what you did. Let's just clear the air. Let's just get it all out. Let's just, we don't need to know what we did. Sometimes we just need to say sorry. Now, if I was preaching on apologizing, we'd be done, right? Wouldn't that be great? But 
I'm not. I'm not. I'm addressing the harder step, the one that comes after you apologize, where we say three words. Three words that, if extended, uh, have the power to heal, have the power to make peace, have the power to resurrect something that's dead, and we can, but we can withhold it as well. And if we withhold it, we can choose to imprison both our offender and me who's offended. I forgive you. These are words we get our kids to recite, right? Whenever there's an offense or an argument, we bring the kids together and we, you say you're sorry, now you say I forgive you. This is drilled into our heads, these words, I forgive you, I forgive you. It can almost be automatic, and, but there's just a real, there's just such an importance that we, we look inward and we reflect because I forgive you. This issue of forgiveness is a life changing, life-shaping uh, thing, depending on how we view it, how we use it, and the meaning that it has in our life. And so um, just uh, to be f- uh, frank and honest with you, I find forgiveness hard. Uh, you know, if you read up on what psychologists say, like, you know, how do we deal with pain? How do we deal with hurt? How do we deal when people offend us? We tend to do a few things, none of which are forgiveness. The things that we tend to do is we avoid, Right? Uh, we tend to distract ourselves. So we're scrolling social media, we're watching TV, we're doing anything to distract ourselves from the hurt or the offense that we're feeling. Um, we go, we just, we turn to something that makes us feel good. Uh, so that television show, uh, that chocolate cake on the counter, like whatever feels good. Um, but I'm personally, I'm an avoider. Uh, my wife will testify to this. I, uh, I, I prefer to avoid when I get hurt, when I get offended. Avoiding feels easier. It means there's no confrontation. It means I don't have to talk about my feelings. Uh, it means that uh, there's really no further action required for me to go on living. And, and this works for me for a while. It works for me for so long as I try to avoid things that offend me or things that I get upset about or that hurt. But what happens over time, really what happens over with all of us that avoid or distract or seek comfort is that um, we, we ha- kind of have a shelf. Think about it in this way, of a shelf in the back of our mind. And uh, every time we get offended, every time we get upset, every time we get hurt, instead of dealing with it, instead of moving through it, instead of unpacking the box, we take that box of hurt and we walk over and we put it on a shelf in a dark, cobwebby, dusty corner in the back of our mind. And we just try to act like it's not there, not to think about it. And it could be little things, it could be little boxes, you know? So my kids disrespected me and we put that box over here, don't wanna deal with that. My coworkers all got lunch together and forgot to invite me again. Go ahead and put that over here. Offended, but I'm gonna act like I'm not offended. And, uh, but it could be bigger, you know, it could be really big, deep pain, serious trauma, you know, spouse leaves you. Uh, there's a broken relationship. There's, some of these boxes are bigger than other boxes, but what happens is no, it, no matter what is, they just, they build up they, they, and they eventually, they start to get heavy whether we deal with it, when we don't deal with them, they start to get heavy. And the shelf that they're all sitting on starts to bend under its weight. And, and we can turn to things that feel easier. We're just, we're all guilty of this. I'm so guilty of this. Wouldn't it be nice if the things that were hard, so let's just, forgiveness, that's depending, especially on the level of pain can feel hard. Wouldn't it be great if, the hard things in life were easy and the easy things that we turn to that were really aren't good for us were hard. Wouldn't that be great? If it wasn't straight and narrow, but wide and downhill, like wouldn't that be great if that's the way that, that life worked? But it, it doesn't work that way. 
It doesn't work that way. And all these things, avoiding, distracting, uh, seeking comfort and things um, are really all coping mechanisms. We all have ways to cope with our pain and our offenses. We all have scars and boxes piled on top of shelves. But the truth is that Jesus came and he didn't offer us a, co- a way to cope. He offered us a call. He actually gave us a call. In fact, he gives us a command. It's not a way to cope. It's a command. And he gives us this command to be radical forgivers. If you are in the church, if you are a follower of Christ, you have been called to radically and unconditionally forgive. And this can be really hard for us. It can feel almost impossible. And, and so I'm gonna get into this story. Uh, and I love Peter. I love the stories about Peter because Peter always gives us hope. Like he's always messing up. Uh, he, you know, he's here, he's, he's the one Peter engages in this conversation with Jesus because he's probably thinking like, he's probably got 10 people he's offended at. He just seems that type of guy. And he's like, how much do I have to forgive Jesus? So Jesus answers him. And, and even though G, Peter has this, one-on-one conversation, this direct conversation with Jesus. He's the one in the garden who pulls his sword out and cuts off the guy's ear. Like he's just constantly getting things wrong. He's just, it just seems like things aren't sinking in. So Peter gives us hope. You feel like, you know what? I just, I'm not getting things right. You have hope because Peter got it wrong all the time. And he's the one who comes at Jesus. And he says this, and we're gonna pick it up in verse 21. It says, and Peter said to him, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times? And Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but 77 times. And some translations interpret the text as saying seven times 70, uh, which do the math on that. The point is, uh, Jesus is saying, there's not a certain limit we get to. He's saying there's no limit. There's no limit to the forgiveness we extend someone. And you know, something struck me as I read this text, as I was preparing the sermon that I didn't notice before, but Jesus doesn't ask what the offense was. You notice that? Jesus, how much do I have to forgive? How many times do I have to forgive my brother? What what are they doing to you? What's the sin? How bad is it? He doesn't ask that question. Because to me, it really matters what someone's doing to me. You know what I mean? Like not inviting me to lunch is one thing. Bullying my kid is another thing. You know what I mean? Like there's just like, there's levels of pain here. But he doesn't ask that question. He also doesn't ask Peter if his brother is sorry. That's not in the, when Peter presents this scenario to Jesus, he's not even, there's no component of to it. The brother is apologizing. He's just saying the brother is sinning against me. So, and Jesus doesn't ask him, well, is he sorry? Does he look sorry? Does he feel, we want that. Like when someone apologizes stuff, like we want them to mean it. Like we want to feel that they feel it, don't we? Did he look sorry, Peter? Well, then, then you, yeah, forgive him. Then you can move forward. He doesn't say that. Because those two things, those two observations are huge, have huge implications for our life. And it tells us that forgiveness really, it's something that comes from our heart and it's really, it's indifferent or irrelevant what, whether the person's sorry or what they have done. Now to forgive like that is radical forgiveness. That does not make sense in our mind. It does not feel right in our heart. Jesus' focus, why is, why is this story unfolding this way? Jesus is, I believe Jesus' focus is on Peter. It's on Peter's heart. It's on his life. And what he wants Peter to see is wherever Peter draws the line of forgiveness. All right, 
forgive 10 times. Here's, there's the line. There's the line. And once they cross over to the 11th offense, the 11th sinning against me, I'm free not to forgive. That's what Peter's looking for. But he doesn't give that. Because Jesus knows that where the line exists, where the threshold of pain exists. So if we, we can forgive this sin, and we can forgive this sin, and we can forgive this sin. But if you, this level, this deep, you do something to my wife, you do something to my kids, like, I don't know if I can forgive that. There might be a line there. Somewhere, and this is a, we need to be a little bit introspective and think and ask, is there somewhere, some offense where we have a line that we will not cross and where it would be hard for us to forgive or we'd be unwilling to forgive? Because Jesus knows where that line exists and where forgiveness is de denied is where Peter will start to build walls in his life. Walls that will both, will imprison him and walls that will imprison the one that offended him. So Jesus tells a story of a king, a king who decides to say, he's obviously a very generous king. He's lent out a lot of money and he's bringing in and he's settling his accounts. And he brings a servant before him. And then we look at verse 24, it says, when he began to settle his accounts, one was brought to him who owed 10,000 talents. And since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all that he had and payment to be made. This isn't an unjust king. He's not being unjust ruling. This is not unjust ruling. It's a fair ruling. The man owes him money, he owes him a debt. He can't pay it. So he's gonna, he's gonna uh, get compensation for that. But it's interesting, if you look at how much his debt is, how much is this servant's debt? It says 10,000 talents. Well, one talent is about 20 years of wages in this culture. He owed him 10,000 talents. So 200,000 years of wages is what this servant owes. It's unpayable. He owes an unpayable debt. And even though it's unpayable, even though there's no logical, practical way that this servant could ever pay off this debt, what's he ask for? It's interesting, he doesn't, he asks for time. As if time would be the thing that all he needed to be able to pay this debt back was more time. But it's unpayable. And Jesus wanted Peter, and I believe you and I, to see ourselves when we, read, when we look at this story of the servant who had an unpayable debt, what he's wanting us to see, who, what character are we in this story is the servant who had an unpayable debt. That's our character. That's our role. We need to see how we're like him and how we don't wanna be like him. We've all accrued a debt of sin by our nature and by our choice. There is a debt that we have accrued, the Bible says, towards God. Isaiah 53, six says, we have, like sheep, we have all gone astray. It says, we've all turned our own way. We've all rejected and we've all rebelled against God. We have an unpayable debt towards God. And the fact is that more time, more knowledge, more awareness, more opportunity, none of that changes the debt that we owe our King. And maybe my debt is $6 billion and your debt is $12 billion. What we wanna do oftentimes is we wanna start comparing our debts to one another. Well, I'm not as bad as them and I'm a little better than her. And, uh, you know, but the fact is that it's all unpayable debt. We've all gone astray, the Bible says. We all have an unpayable debt. And we can make the same mistake that the servant did, that we feel that we need to pay, pay God back and we end up asking for more time when the fact is 
We just need to acknowledge that we're bankrupt before God and that we don't need more time. What we need is mercy. So we say things like, when I get my life together, then I'll surrender to you. There, there's pleas for patience. If, if, I get, if you get me through this, then I'll follow you if I have more time. But it's just, they're all pleas for patience. But the king, what does the king do? Verse 27 says, out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave him the debt. The king, what's the king doing? He's setting a culture of what he wanted in his kingdom. When he, had, when he had compassion and forgave him this massive debt, he was establishing a culture. And this is the same radical forgiveness that Jesus has extended to us. Colossians 2, 13 and 14 says, you who were dead in your trespasses, who is that? That's all of us. In the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven, forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt. What's that record of debt? It's our sin. We all have a record of debt. It's all unpayable. But what does Jesus do? He forgives us our trespasses. He sets it aside, nailing it to the cross. Forgiveness is not acting like there's no debt or there is no sin. We have to deal with the pain of the sin. And what the king chose to do in our story today, in this, in this parable that Jesus tells us, the king absorbed the debt. He chose to suffer the loss instead of making the servant pay. The king had called him into account and then he mercifully released him from the massive debt that he owed. And this word release means that he is to send away, to divorce, to let go. He set him free from being identified as a debtor. And the word forgive means to permit to depart. He was a free man. No longer was bound to repay because in the eyes of the king, the debt had been settled. I mean, can you imagine owing someone billions and billions of dollars and them just saying, you know what? It's gone. I'll take the loss. I'll take the hit. And you can go, you can be free. You don't have to pay me a penny and go live your life. Can you imagine? I mean, I don't know if you have billions and billions of dollars of debt, but can you imagine if, if you have any debt right now, someone just, just showed up and said, hey, you know what? I'm taking care of all your debt. Like the impact that that would have. I mean, this servant experienced a radical, a radical, really scandalous forgiveness from the king because we just don't operate that way in our culture, in our society. We are, if you, if you borrow it, you, you, re, you return it. I mean, it is a scandal what's happening in this story. And what happens next though in the story is even more shocking or it could be as shocking as what the king did because the servant leaves the king's presence and it says he goes and he finds a servant. And we look in verse 28, it says, but, um, so he leaves the king and in verse 28, it says, but when the same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. A hundred denarii is about four months wages. So this is a legitimate debt. If someone owed you four months of wages, you probably want that back, wouldn't you? And that's a, this is not an insignificant amount of money, but it's still, and it says, he began to choke him saying, pay what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, have patience with me and I will pay you. And he refused and went and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. So he was owed four months of wages. And um, what was shocking about this is that in comparison, so if you've, met this servant on the street who just got forgiven all of this money 
and you had no idea that took place. And you say, hey, what are you doing? He said, hey, I'm gonna go get this money from this guy who owes me four months of wages and he's refusing to pay me. If you just met him, it would be easy for you to join in on his offense. And this happens all the time within community. This happens all the time. We catch wind, we hear about someone's offense, something that was done to someone, and we just jump right in on it. If you'd met him, you would have jumped in on his offense. Yes, he should pay you back. Four months wages? I cannot believe he hasn't paid you back. You might even walk with him to go help him out, get, get that money back. I mean, that's just shocking to people. But they don't know the whole story. The servants the community in this crowd who experienced the servant being forgiven all this debt and then witnessed him demanding what in comparison he got forgiven, they were shocked. But for the right reasons, they were disturbed, they were distressed because they knew, they knew that he had been forgiven this huge debt. And the truth is like, even for that servant who owed four months wages, who does that debt belong to? If I borrowed $100,000 from Kurt and I gave you $10,000 and then Kurt forgave me that $100,000, who does that $10,000 that you really belong to? Well, it belonged to Kurt, it doesn't belong to me. There's a debt that he had been forgiven, but the, the heart, his heart was not compassionate. He had experienced compassion, but his heart was not compassionate. It is so easy, it is so easy to minimize the debt that we have been forgiven and to magnify the debt that is owed to us or that we perceive is owed to us. It's so easy to do it. We do it all the time. We have, I, I'm guilty of this. We're all, we have grace and we understand. So when we sin, when we mess up, we understand, we have compassion on ourselves. Well, if you under, I did that because you just under, don't understand the circumstances or they did this to me. Like we have, we have lots of grace for ourselves. It's easy to minimize our debt and to magnify the debt that we believe is owed to us, except the debt isn't really owed to us. Forgiveness comes into play here. Because he, no one is shocked. No one is shocked when we look to rectify a situation. If we've been wronged and we go to rectify, we go to make it right, we go to make the other person pay, the world is not shocked by that behavior. It's really expected behavior. And to forgive someone can feel like a betrayal. It can feel honestly like death. It could feel like death to have mercy on someone who has hurt us, who has offended us. It can feel like a betrayal to ourselves if we forgive. It can feel like a denial of what we feel we are owed. It can feel this way. But, and when we're living in our pain and that's all we're seeing, it's really hard for us, but so necessary for us to take a step back from that and to reflect on Jesus and to reflect on the cross and to reflect on the fact that we all had an unpayable debt and sin is so serious that God himself was killed for it. And when we look at Jesus, we compare him. This king was motivated out of compassion to forgive this man's debt. Jesus, out of compassion, went to the cross. And we know from scripture that Jesus 
was denied by his closest friends. He was gossiped, he was slandered. They had false witnesses come up and testify against him. He was, so not only did his enemies attack him, but his friends turned their back on him and he was crucified and he was nailed to a cross. And even though you and I weren't there, our sins and the ones committed against us were a part of the pool of sins that held him there on the cross. Martin Luther says, we all carry about his nails in our pockets. We're all responsible. We all have sin. And yet Jesus hanging on the cross, looks out over his betrayers, his deniers, his executioners, the Roman soldiers that beat him to a bloody pulp. And he says, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Not Father, eradicate them. Father, send the angels. I keep... Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Jesus absorbed the debt that we owed God. And in light of this great forgiveness, we have the ability and can forgive others the sins that they have committed against us. The king's heart was full of compassion and the servant's heart lacked it. When we lack the compassion to forgive, when we forget the great debt we have been forgiven, we harden our hearts towards other and we do two things. We do two things when we do this, when we withhold forgiveness. One, we exclude the offender from the community of people and we exclude ourselves from the the community of sinners. When we do not forgive, we exclude our offender from the community of people and we exclude ourselves from the community of sinners. And the truth is we're all together, right? At the beginning of the sermon, all hands were up or should have been up. We've all offended. We've all been offended. We're all part of one community called humanity. We are all broken. We, are all, we have all gone astray. We have all sinned and we have all been sinned against. We belong to one community. And then when we forget though, when I get offended at you or you get offended at me and we stew on it, we dwell on it, we let it grow inside our hearts. We remove, I, if I'm offended at you, I remove you from the community of people. So you become your sin. So you're not someone who cheated, you're a cheater. You're not someone who lied, you're a liar. We start building these walls of offense. We start putting them in prison. Just like this servant put this man who owed him four months wages, he put him in prison. And that's what we do in our relationship. We put people in prison where we stop even seeing the person because we just, we built this wall all around them and all we can see is our offense. Sometimes we were angry for so long, we don't even know why we got mad in the first place. But all we know is that when we look at each other, we're angry and we're upset and we're offended. Can't even remember, but I, it's there. Those emotions come to the surface and we imprison people. We build walls around them. We stop seeing them as a person who's sinned, who's broken, who needs God, who needs love, who needs mercy. We stop seeing people and we, then we also start building a prison around ourselves. See this servant, while he put this other servant, while the man who owed a lifetime of wages put one servant who owed him months wages in prison, what he didn't realize was that he was putting himself in prison, right? Because that's where he ends up in our story. And we build walls with every offense, with everything that we don't let go, with everything that we, really, not, not, that we don't forgive. We add another brick and we build our wall up higher and higher and higher. And we can find ourselves in prison and isolated, isolated and hurting. We grow further and further apart And Jesus doesn't want us to end up in prison. 
He's telling Peter this because he doesn't want him to have a line, a threshold of pain to which Peter stops forgiving because Jesus knows the moment he does that, the moment he stops forgiving, the moment he forgets the forgiveness he has received, these walls and this isolation and this brokenness is gonna crop up and grow. I have asked um, Larry and Vicki Mowry uh, to be with us today and to actually to come share a story. And uh, why don't you guys go ahead and come up here. Um, for those of you who don't know Larry and Vicki, they are, um, got that? Come on. Uh, hey, these guys, one, they have a story that I think is really gonna help us with this issue of forgiveness. Um, if you are new to Jubilee, we are one church, four locations. Larry is an elder at our city location. And uh, him and his wife, I apologize, it is bright. Um, but him and his wife are heroes, uh, really. I mean, they have blessed me and my wife tremendously over the years. They have helped us deal with lots of pain, uh, lots of issues. And uh, we just, we're we are privileged to hear from them. And personally, I'm extremely thankful for them. And uh, they have a story. They're gonna share their testimony about dealing with this issue of forgiveness. And uh, so I'm gonna let you guys take it away. Well, um, several years ago, um, we had someone that uh, we knew real well. Uh, we found out that uh, had sexually assaulted a couple of our children in, in multiple incidences. And um, uh, we went to him and uh, uh, talked to him about it. He uh, admitted to it although he, he didn't apologize or seem sorry about it. Um, we, uh, our next step, we, we told him what he needed to do as far as uh, ending that kind of behavior. And do um, uh, you wanna take that part? Sure. Um, <laughs> yeah, we actually, we, we knew this guy for a long time, long time. Trusted him. Uh, trusted him. Um, he actually wanted to spend a weekend at our house while we were, and we said, well, we're going to be gone, but you're welcome to stay here. Uh, a few of our kids will be there, but that's okay. And anyway, we found out when we got home from our trip what had happened and just shocked. Thought, wow, we, this is, I mean, you couldn't even wrap our heads around it really. And, uh, but we went, to, we called him, we wanted, we set up an appointment to see him, as Vicki said, and he admitted it. And we said, you need to contact one of the elders of the church that we both used to be a part of. And when you do, have him call me so I know that you're getting help. Well, a month goes by and we don't hear anything. So I call and I talk to two or three of the guys that I knew there, and they knew nothing about it. And I thought, I thought, whoa, <laughs> what, what, what's, what's going on? You know, we, we fully expected that he would do that. And I started realizing that the forgiveness I thought I had for him was based on him shaping up. So I, I, it was actually conditional forgiveness. If you line up with what I think you should do, then I'll forgive you was kind of where I was. And I did find out from one of the elders there that he was seeing a mutual friend of ours who was a psychologist, psychiatrist, 
So I called him. I called the psychiatrist, and I said, hey, is so-and-so seeing you? And he said, yeah. And I said, what for? And he said, well, I can't tell you. <laughs> so anyway, I said, well, we asked him to come and see you, and here's why we asked him to come and see you. And he said, well, because I know that, we have to report him to the authorities. And so it escalated from there. And what he began, so then what this man did was he came to my office where I work and said, hey, I'm going to, I have to turn myself in, but if this goes to trial, I'm going to plead not guilty. And I'd like for, just brazen, I'd like for you to have your children and you not testify against me. Go ahead. Anyway, so, um, uh, yeah, the, it was about three years from, from the time that that, from the charges were made till the, the, uh, the court proceedings. And there was a lot, of, a lot of struggling that we went through with trying to forgive, seeking God for the ability to forgive, and then having, you know, being contacted by him, which um, just kind of kept everything raw. So, um, but we persisted, and uh, we, didn't, we didn't really feel forgiving toward him uh, until uh, till toward the end. Um, uh, God, uh, God answered our prayers and, and did grant us forgiveness. It came in different ways. Larry's uh, was first. Yeah. Well, he kept, one of the things that kept going on was he, he kept doing things, you know, this seven times seven turned into 70 times seven. <laughs> uh, we had mutual friends that were mad at us because of what we were putting this guy through. And we said, well, what'd you hear? So they'd tell us what they heard, and we'd say, that's not even close. It's not even close to what happened. But anyway, in the middle of all that stuff, I just, I, I said, God, do something with this guy. Slap him upside the head. Let him get run over by a truck. Um, just, just angry at all, just all these things that were going on. But in the middle of all that, I, I, two questions came to me in my complaint about this gentleman, about this guy. And I don't, I don't know about you, sometimes God speaks to me by asking me questions. And the first question was, if, if he asked me to forgive him, I'm going to do it. God was saying that. God was saying that to me. Are you okay with that? God asked me. The second question was, because there was an impending trial coming up, that we didn't, we, we didn't have anything to do with it. We didn't, we didn't press it. He said, would you be okay with him not getting any jail time? Just getting off easy for this. Are you okay with that? And I understood that to be that vengeance belongs to God, right? Payment for, for what we do belongs to God. And I realized something. I realized that in all of that, that the price that Jesus paid for my sin, he paid for this guy's sin. If he asked Jesus to forgive, Jesus will. 
And Jesus could have had mercy on him if he wanted to, and I had to be fine with that. And one of the things that happened, just in in the last verse of Matthew 18, about forgiving from the heart, when I was able to answer a sincere yes to those questions, something happened in me. I went from being cold and different and angry with this guy to be, I began to have a compassion, began to have a warm feeling about him, uh, not because he deserved it, but just because of just this work of grace in, in choosing to forgive. And Vicki, you can. Yeah. And well, the way that, that I was able to forgive, it, it, the way it came was, um, it wasn't toward the, it was toward the end of uh, the court proceedings. And I just sensed a real strong presence of God there, which was pretty, um, it was pretty aw- awesome. Um, and I, I realized that, that God has, had been in control all along. And um, my heart changed from wanting justice for this guy to wanting mercy because I saw and sensed the judgment waiting for him spiritually if he didn't repent. And I, I just, um, it, it was, it took me by surprise, but I'm thankful for it because uh, my heart was set free at that point. And, um, and hopefully, I mean, I, I feel like unforgiveness is tricky. It can still come back at any time. So we just stay close to God and, and, and keep uh, getting his grace to walk in forgiveness. Can we thank these guys for sharing? said earlier in the message that um, forgiveness can feel like a kind of death. And, um, you know, I was, was one, thing, one of the thoughts that I had was that God, he's not interested in minimizing your pain. He's not interested in, um, in getting you to not feel something. Um, one of the things we can be so thankful for in Jesus is that we have a sympathetic high priest. Um, we come to him. Uh, he understands our pain. He understands our hurt. Uh, so he understood. You know, Larry and Vicki, they share their story and they're wrestling through this. God understands the pain and the hurt that they're going through. He sympathizes with it. It's not making little of it. But when the Bible says something like God doesn't, doesn't desire, he does not take the light in the wicked perishing and that he is slow to anger and that he treats us not as our sin deserves. Like we love those things, but these, that, those are massive implications, not for just you and I, for everyone, including the offenders in our life, the people who have hurt us. 
Tim Keller says this about forgiveness. He says, forgiveness is a form of suffering. You not only suffer the original loss of happiness, reputation, and opportunity, but now you forego the consolation of inflicting the same on them. Because we always have a choice. We can inflict suffering or we can forgive. He says, you're absorbing the debt, taking the cost of it completely on yourself instead of taking it out of the other person. It hurts terribly. And many people would say it feels like a kind of death, yes, but to death that leads to resurrection instead of the lifelong living death of bitterness and cynicism. We may think it feels better to make someone else pay. I don't think any one of us would judge Larry and Vicky if they stood and said, we wanted that man to have the longest sentence to get every punishment, to have every freedom stripped away. I don't think anyone else would judge them for feeling that way. Or you, if someone hurt your kids. We could understand that. And honestly, that's the, that's the road that a lot of people choose. We choose to inflict, but making someone else suffer for their sin doesn't stop the spread of evil. It only allows it to spread. It allows the spread in our hearts and it isolates us and we can find ourselves in prison. Forgiveness may feel like you're dying, but God will resurrect and heal and strengthen that which feels impossible to heal. That which feels impossible to be a source of strength. If we can choose forgiveness as a church, we can choose that which leads to unity and that which puts on love because God wants a community of people that is a resurrected community living in his goodness and living out this radical call, call of forgiveness. And we have a real enemy that wants to kill, steal, and destroy. We have a real enemy that wants to build walls and to divide. I mean, there could be offenses right now here amongst us that the enemy's just, he's just trying to find his way in to divide and bring a dividing wall. And the way that we tear down these walls and the way we keep those walls down is that we choose to forgive. We choose to forgive those who have offended us. Let's stand. We're gonna, I'm gonna pray for us and we're gonna worship. The way we worship and the way I think that we uh, respond to this is, that, is there is beauty in the gospel and here's where we stand. We stand forgiven by a God who we owed an unpayable debt to. I mean, that's the bottom line. We're all in the community of offenders and who have been offended. We're all in this community of sinners. But God, but Jesus, he showed us love and he chose to forgive us. He chose not to make us pay the consequence for our sin. If you are in Christ, if you're a follower of Christ, his forgiveness is something that is a rock. It's a foundation that we stand on that we worship and that we revel in and we thank him for. And if you, if you don't know God today, the, the reality of his forgiveness is a beautiful thing as well because he wants to invite you in. We think God's an angry father who wants to give us what we deserve. No, he's a loving, merciful God. He's the merciful king who's willing and ready to forgive the debt that we have accrued and 